Hi everyone, this is Ralph Russo from the AP. The coronavirus pandemic ranks among one of the most consequential stories ever covered by the Associated Press in its 170 year history. We've launched a new series as part of our Ground Game podcast, where I go inside the hard hit areas and all the places in between with the AP's global team of journalists as the world tries to stem the spread of the virus. What you're about to hear is an episode of that podcast. I encourage you to subscribe to Ground Game Inside the Outbreak on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. The number of ventilators we need is so astronomical. It's not like they have them sitting in the warehouse in the federal government. Uh, There is no stockpile available. The federal government is doing what we're doing, which is you have to find those ventilators. I'm Julie Pace, Washington Bureau Chief for the Associated Press, and this is Ground Game. The coronavirus pandemic ranks among one of the most consequential stories we have ever covered at the Associated Press in our 170-year history. Here to take you inside the outbreak is AP's Ralph Russo. From the Associated Press, this is Inside the Outbreak. I'm Ralph Russo. Today is Tuesday, March 31st. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has said up to one million more healthcare workers are needed for his virus-ravaged city as the U.S. closes in on China's death toll of 3,300. My guest today on Inside the Outbreak is AP reporter Candace Choi who is based in New York City. Candace recently co-bylined a story about how an overwhelmed hospital would go about deciding which patients get treated first. It can be chilling to think about, but with the rising number of cases in places like New York City, healthcare providers could be facing life and death decisions related to limited resources. In preparation, health officials across the country are reviewing guidelines from sources, including state governments and medical groups on how to ration limited resources in an emergency. Candace Choi is an AP reporter based in New York. Thank you for joining me today, Candace. Hi, nice to be here. So the story you wrote recently, with some help of some other AP staffers from around the country, had this rather bleak headline. And how would overwhelmed hospitals decide who to treat first? Mm-hmm. First off, my question is, why are healthcare workers preparing to face these daunting decisions? So I think a big takeaway from this whole outbreak has been the realization that there's a huge potential cost at stake when you're not prepared for a worst case scenario. So even though we're not at the point yet where there's not enough hospital beds and ventilators for sick patients in the U.S., I think most health officials seem to understand that it would be really irresponsible to not have a plan in place for that scenario. So, Kansas, what type of guidelines are being used? Are there some universal guiding principles that healthcare workers and hospitals uh, use to create their own protocols? Yeah, so there's no one guideline, like one national guideline. There are various guidelines floating around from groups like state health departments and medical organizations that hospitals can draw from. And the general theme across those plans is that you want to prioritize people who are most likely to benefit from treatment. But of course, there's going to be debate about 
you know, how you figure that out exactly. Uh, if you could get into maybe a little bit of through your reporting and, and others, what, what is that process look like? So one thing that is consistent across these guidelines is that you designate a separate triage team to decide who gets care. So it's not the doctors and nurses who are tending to patients that are going to be making that call. And that's for several reasons, obviously. One is that it would put too much emotional burden on doctors and nurses, and you don't want them making these calls on the fly in these like highly stressful situations. But it also helps ensure that patients are treated fairly, regardless of their race, social status, or any other personal factor that doesn't have to do with their medical condition. So you mentioned a triage team, and I can only imagine the un- having the unfortunate task of making these decisions. How do they choose these doctors and nurses? Are they from the same hospital? Are they from different hospitals? Are there ethicists involved? I think that ethicists' involvement is usually just in the developing of the guidelines. The triage teams are likely to be, you know, hospital staff, but the main thing is just to keep them separate. And what they're doing is using patients' medical data without having interacted with the patients, ideally. And they're just going based on their medical data, inputting that into like a scoring system. There are different types of scoring systems to help determine, you know, your risk of surviving a situation. So let's elaborate on that a little bit more. What type of patients would be at risk of being denied treatment? Yeah, that's the really tough question. So, for example, ventilators are a really major issue in this pandemic. And with ventilators, some guidelines will say at the forefront will narrow the pool of candidates by excluding severely ill people. And they'll define the different types of, you know, what counts as severely ill. And as an example, it might be somebody with like advanced lung cancer. And while I'm sure the medical professionals want to be guided by fairness and science, you sort of made reference to this before, the idea that there could be some inequity baked into this whole situation. Right. So obviously these guidelines, they're not perfect. And one expert I talked to made the point that, you know, the guidelines can't ensure total fairness or address existing inequities in healthcare. So poor people tend to be sicker, for example. So that might make it less likely that they get to the top of the list for a ventilator or a hospital bed. And as unfair as it is, this same expert made the point that, you know, there's really no practical way to fix those type of injustices in the middle of the pandemic. And in fact, by trying to correct for them, you'd likely be introducing a lot more bias into the system because you'd have to be making assumptions about, you know, why a person has diabetes or why a person has a heart condition. So, you know, they're they're designed to, you know, treat patients fairly, but that has its limitations. Uh, this this seems like such a such a massive burden to put on the people on these triage teams. It's almost like as if they're trying to play the role of God here. Uh, did you get any sense from people who have either taken part in this or know people who have taken part in this, you know, what toll that could possibly take on a doctor? Well, a lot of this is really hypothetical, I think, for most doctors. The doctors that I spoke with made the point that, you know, we never thought we'd have to face this situation in the U.S. Um, Most in the U.S. have not faced these type of scenarios unless they've, you know, maybe worked abroad or something like that. One of the goals of these plans and guidelines is to remove that sense that you're playing God 
and is to take all the personal decision making out of it and make it sort of, you know, create a system where you're just using medical information and you're not making, you know, arbitrary decisions. And it should be noted, as you did in your story, this is preparedness. We haven't quite got to the point where the doctors and these triage teams are making these decisions, at least not that we know of here in, let's say, New York City, though, as the cases go up, it does seem like the reason why they are preparing because they understand that this could be coming. Right. And you can just imagine how chaotic this scenario would be if this did come to materialize, these sort of scenarios did come to materialize, and you don't have a plan in place. So even though there's like debate about a lot of the details around some of these plans, like for example, should healthcare workers get special status for um, care? Even though there's debate around those type of details, the consensus is the most important thing is you need to have a plan in place because otherwise it would just be chaos. (laughs) Chaos in an area where there's already chaos. And again, you're putting such an amazing burden. I was wondering, and again, this hasn't had to be that way, but there was a couple of people quoted within your story, patients or the family members of patients who have been in troubling situations, one person who had died. And I think that you were trying to get at, you know, what would you feel like if you were sort of put into this situation? So what did you hear from people who had family members, loved ones who are sick, who maybe had to at least think about, wow, like what would, what would this have been like if it was my loved one having to be put in this situation where there was decisions needed to be made around them? Right. I spoke to one man whose dad died earlier this month and he, his dad, you know, um, when he was describing his condition to me, he had asthma and a variety of different conditions and he was 77 years old. And when we were talking about this, you know, he said that he, he understands that his dad probably wouldn't have been at the top of the list, for example, if ventilators were in short supply. But I think there is this great sense of support for and wanting to trust in the healthcare system right now. And so he said that, you know, he trusted that the medical professionals, you know, whatever decision they made would be like fair and based in training. I guess that it's different because it was a hypothetical, you know, his dad didn't die because he didn't get access to a ventilator, but that was, you know, his sentiment. The other thing I've heard actually, you know, unrelated to that individual was I hear about some people saying that they actually want to get the virus now when hospital beds and ventilators are actually still available and they're afraid of getting it at a time when there is a short supply of these resources. Right, which is a completely different perspective. The idea of possibly trying to time out when you might get sick, as much as everybody's trying to avoid getting sick, it does seem like things might be getting worse, which is, again, just crazy times that we're living in that people would even think along those lines. Going back to the the original premise of your story, the fact that we are now in a point where hospital workers, healthcare workers are thinking about how to ration off treatment is something that, as you mentioned, I think we never thought we would get to in this country. Candace Joy, AP reporter based out of New York, thank you very much for joining me today. Appreciate your insight on this story. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Ground Game. With both a pandemic and a presidential campaign to keep an eye on, we'll be here every step of the way, giving you all the news you need to know. Be sure to tell a friend about us, and please, 
subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Some of the details of our discussion may have changed by the time you hear this. For up-to-date developments on all of your news, head over to APnews.com. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 